Welcome to the new Arab Voice, our podcast bringing you compelling stories and deep dives from the Middle East, Africa, Asia, and beyond. Welcome to the new Arab Voice. I'm Daniel Hijaji. And I'm Gaia Karamatsa. And today we'll be speaking on how Islamophobia affects the lives of Muslims everywhere. On October 17, middle school teacher Samuel Paty was beheaded in the Persian suburb of Conflans-Saint-Honorine after showing cartoons of Islam's Prophet Muhammad during a class on freedom of expression. Stay with us to hear about how this terror attack reopened all too familiar wounds in France, with President Emmanuel Macron's ensuing course of action as widely criticized for infringing on the religious freedom of Muslims. There's definitely a use by, I would say, the dogmatic wing of the people surrounding Macron, um, who are definitely, you know, making the, the most out of this, like for, for ideological and dogmatic gains. Then stay tuned to hear from one of Britain's youngest imams on how he is tackling Islamophobia on social media. The fear that people have of Islam, that a third of Britons feel that Islam threatens the British way of life, a report which came out by Hope Not Hate. If we don't address those questions and create a safe, safe space for people to ask questions, that, that number would increase, and we're not here to create division in the world. Finally, we'll be speaking to high school students Mina and Zina on why they decided to spend their teenage years fighting for more diversity in libraries. I think it was over two years ago, we read our first book with a female Muslim main character, and it was The Lines We Crossed by Renda Abdel Fatah. And it was kind of this eye-opening experience to be able to read a book where we were represented. On October 21, a crowd gathered in the courtyard of Paris's Sorbonne University at a ceremony for slain middle school teacher Samuel Paty. An orchestra played the Marseillaise, France's national anthem, as the country's motto of Liberté, Égalité, Fraternité, Freedom, Equality, and Fraternity, was projected on the university's walls. Paty's coffin stood in the center of the courtyard adorned with French flags. On October 17, the 47-year-old father of one was on his way home from work in the Parisian suburb of Conflans-Saint-Honorine when he was attacked and beheaded. The perpetrator, an 18-year-old Muslim-Russian refugee, was shot and killed by police shortly after the heinous murder. Over a week prior to his shocking death, Pati had taught a class on freedom of expression and shown his students cartoons of Islam's Prophet Muhammad. The caricatures, which are deemed blasphemous in Islam, were published by satirical French magazine Charlie Hebdo. You'll remember that in 2015, the magazine's Paris offices were stormed by Al-Qaeda-affiliated gunmen who killed 12 people and injured 11 others over the cartoons. Petit's death has reopened all too familiar wounds in France. Mourners gathered at Paris's Place de la République and chanted Je suis Samuel. In front of the Conflans saint honorine school where Petit worked, a group of French imams paid tribute to the teacher and called for the eradication of Islamic extremism. 
Want to know a proverb of the Prophet of Islam? He said that a teacher is a prophet because he teaches, he transmits messages. We love you so much, we entrust our children to you. It is not our children who can behead teachers. It is not our children who do not respect our teachers. It is not our children of the Muslim faith who commit crimes and do not respect the school of the Republic. We ask your forgiveness because he was beheaded in the name of our religion. He is dead and I ask forgiveness from his family. From all the people, we are not afraid, we must not be afraid, we must not give in to fear. Prior to Paty's death, French President Emmanuel Macron stated Islam is a religion in crisis as he unveiled a new drive to push religion out of education and the public sector. In December, the French government will present a bill to strengthen a 1905 law that officially separated church and state. Macron announced stricter oversight of schooling and better control over foreign funding of mosques. Following the teacher's grisly killing, Macron went full speed ahead with efforts he framed as defending the republic's values against Islamic extremism. The French government has since given Muslim leaders a deadline to declare Islam as apolitical, move to outlaw homeschooling, and shut down several Muslim NGOs. Suite à l'attentat de Conflans Saint-Honoré. Following the attack in Conflans Saint-Honorine, we are going to strengthen what was started. This is not about making more statements. We know what needs to be done. We know. And so our fellow citizens expect actions. These actions will be stepped up. As you have seen in recent days, several dozen concrete actions launched against associations, also against individuals who have a radical Islamist project. That is to say, an ideology of destruction of the Republic. The French government has long been criticized for weaponizing the country's cherished value of laïcité, which is France's brand of secularism, to target Muslims for practicing their faith. And in recent weeks, Macron was accused of cracking down on the country's Muslim community and espousing harmful Islamophobic rhetoric. Islam is the second religion in France, which is home to an estimated 5 million Muslims. But France's diverse Muslim community has faced obstacles in being fully accepted in the country. Muslims in France have experienced discrimination in many forms, from police brutality to hate crimes. Just last month, two veiled Muslim women were stabbed in Paris. Their attackers reportedly yelled slurs and attempted to rip their headscarves off. A 2020 report by the Collective Against Islamophobia in France, an NGO that also goes by CCIF, found that public service in France are 59% more likely to discriminate against Muslims, while 70% of Islamophobic acts target women. Gérald Darmanin, France's interior minister, recently announced his intent to dissolve the CCIF, calling it an enemy of the republic and a backroom of Islamism without providing any evidence. Outside France, Macron's defense of the cartoons were met with backlash from Muslim countries. Protests erupted throughout the Middle East, Africa and Asia, with some nation's leaders stoking the outrage. In the Gulf, certain retailers have boycotted French products. I spoke to French MENA researcher Sahara Marir, who pointed out that though Macron's course of action following Paty's killing was internationally amplified and scrutinized, it wasn't anything French Muslims haven't experienced before. This issue of separatism was being discussed way before uh, Samuel Paty was beheaded. It's ideological ties like to other dogmatic debates on the French public scene were way older than this uh, than this terrorist attack. So there's definitely a use by, I would say, the dogmatic wing 
of the people surrounding Macron, um, who are definitely, you know, making the, the most out of this, like for, for ideological and dogmatic gains. Um, so th th that's really what it comes down to, because this is not uh, something that's organically being um, discussed or put in action following a terrorist attack. Like we're talking about like, institutions that have been ostracizing the French Muslim community, laws that pre-existed, um, ambitions and intentions that pre-existed um, this attack, and for which the attack has just laid um, a PR ground, if I may say it like this, um, which is just a justification, basically, for them to enact this, these different laws, which were already discussed, already part of the, the public debate, which were already used to target like Muslims uh, b before the attack. Amarir said Muslims were not the only demographic that were targeted for the supposed greater good of the French Republic. The Macron government's controversial decisions have unveiled a pattern of domestic repression to the international community. You know, it's important for people to just be reminded that what's happening now in France just came out again because of poor um, political, I mean, of political mismanagement and poor communication skills by Macron and the lack of, of good counselors surrounding him on the subject, but that most of these issues are like long established in France, right? The discourse of us being, you know, um, separatists, it's decades old, decades old in France now. The issue is that Macron somehow and unintentionally managed to show to the world what's happening on the French domestic what has been happening on the French domestic uh, domestic scene sorry i think for foreigners like watching this like from outside like everything is going downhill so fast in france and i think this issue should not be separated of other issues of democratic regressions that are happening in France because they're happening hand in hand. Like there is a reason why the pace of uh, and the type of discourse that French Muslims are being targeted with are, 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 are taking such proportions. It's because everything else is taking the same proportions. These issues of lack of safety or uncertainty when it comes to the future it, it, it's not just French Muslims who are feeling like this, right? They might we we might be feeling like this as Muslims. We're also feeling like this as French, because there are also other parts of the of the the country that are being targeted, right? Journalists are being targeted, uh, academics, uh, researchers, etc. So um, it's a package, really. Despite its seemingly steadfast commitment to democratic rights, Macron's government has not only been condemned for threatening freedom of religion. In a blow to academic freedom, a bill adopted by the French Senate on November 20 included a provision targeting student protests on university campuses, on-campus gatherings that, quote, trouble the tranquility and good order of the establishment, risk a fine of up to 45,000 euros and a prison term of up to three years. And only days after Paty's killing, Education Minister Jean-Michel Blanquet claimed universities are being ravaged by l'islamo-gauchisme, meaning islamo-leftism. This term, which is frequently used by the French far-right, accuses left-wing intellectuals of normalizing and accommodating Islamic extremism through progressive thought regarding institutionalized racism and Islamophobia. The French government was also accused of empowering police through a controversial security bill introduced this month. The bill has elicited widespread protests across France and attracted criticism from the United Nations as well as the French government's independent defender of rights. Oh, no! 
justice pour toute personne qui se fait tabasser par les flics. In the face of criticism at home and abroad, President Macron has defended his government's rapid-fire actions following Samuel Paty's tragic killing as an unwavering defense of the republic's values. However, his constituents have expressed outrage at seeing their rights dissolve under the same authorities that claim to safeguard their freedoms. And just like that, liberté, égalité, fraternité is reduced to a motto beamed over the coffin of an educator who died for exercising his. So I wake up in the morning, I'll pray, and then and then normally I'll have a coffee from my espresso machine, um, and then have breakfast with the kids. We'll have porridge together. Uh, I've got a tractor tire and a sledgehammer in my garden, um, so I try to do a bit of a CrossFit workout before I head out to work. A quick 20 minute, half an hour blast, and then I'm at work for maybe nine, ten o'clock, and then I leave about six, seven o'clock. So it's quite a full on day. And I come home. And if I'm lucky, I'll spend some time with the kids, maybe jigsaw or some colouring with them. And then they're off to bed. And then it's uh, dinner and Netflix. And uh, that's literally the wrap for the evening. This is a day in the life of 26-year-old Sabah Ahmedi, one of Britain's youngest imams who uses his social media account to teach about Islam and tackle misconceptions of it. Good afternoon. Welcome to Hope, Positivity and Faith. Where's everyone joining from? We have France in the house. People are joining from across the world. USA, you're welcome. You're welcome on this live. Manchester, welcome. Manchester, you know Manchester? I love Manchester. I was born there. The best city in the world. During his Instagram lives, he's usually sporting a hoodie over a button-down shirt, talking about faith, love, family, sadness, anger, and really anything in between. Because one thing about one, one of the beautiful things about religion is that it's the only thing out there which emphasizes to put your own desires on the back burner and put people's desires, put people's needs before your own needs. Especially during lockdown, Saba's Instagram lives, tweets, or TikTok videos provided an alternative way to access Islamic teachings even when mosques were closed to the public. His work has attracted young people who may be seeking to find safe spaces online to learn and share about their faith. Saba says that younger Muslims come to him online and IRL to discuss their concerns practicing Islam in today's world. People have this misconception of Islam that it's a religion of violence and terror. And some Muslims may feel that others see them as a threat. And it's simply because of the image that people have of Islam, which has been created by um, the media and the so-called Muslims, unfortunately, who hurt and kill innocent people in the name of Islam. And really, Islam has nothing to do with violence and terror and killing innocent people. Uh, in fact, the Holy Quran says that killing an innocent is akin to killing the whole of mankind. So there's one, over 1.6 billion Muslims in the world. Maybe a small minority, a handful of them, are extremists and all religions have extremists. Young Muslims like myself, we do have this worry and upset really that people perceive our religion to be one of violence and hatred when really in essence it's not. 
According to a report by the action group Hope Not Hate, 42% of English people say that they are now more suspicious of Muslims as a result of the London and Manchester terrorist attacks. A study carried out by Roxana Khan-Williams and Imran Awan, professor at Birmingham City University, found that during the start of the pandemic, many started spreading Islamophobic misinformation and even blaming Muslims for the spread of COVID-19. Now, Saba wants to fight this dissemination of falsehoods and hatred by educating those that don't actually know much about Islam at all. A few misconceptions which people have, and I've had these questions asked to me, by children at school and people in, in, in the workforce, where they've said that, does Islam give any rights to women? It's in fact, Islam champions the rights for women. Islam came over 1400 years ago. It established the rights to inheritance, the right to work, the right to, the right to divorce. The, as in the list can go on, no man can force a woman to do what she doesn't want to do. So that's another misconception which is important to remove. And another one is, if you're not a Muslim, you're hellbound. And again, that's a misconception because Islam in chapter 10 talks about how God will reward people for their good works. The fear that people have of Islam, that a third of Britons feel that Islam threatens the British way of life, a report which came out by Hope Not Hate. If we don't address those questions and create a safe, safe space for people to ask questions, that number would increase. And we're not here to create division in the world. We're here to truly live in a United Kingdom where we treat everyone with respect of what they believe in and we are truly peace-loving individuals regardless of the colour of our skin, what we believe in. 17 to 24 and now he lives in Kent with his wife Melissa and their two children. Even though his path has led him to being a leader in his community and helping others with their concerns and sorrows, like every person in their mid-twenties, Sabah has his own stress and anxieties. And for this, he has his own support network that is there for him when he needs it. I've got one or two friends who I can really have a good heart-to-heart with, but I also seek a lot of comfort and guidance from my my mum and dad. It might sound a bit soppy, but I still do go to them for a lot of help and advice. They were there from day one. And my wife is literally my backbone. And without her, I'm not just saying it because she's going to hear this. <laughs> I'm being genuine. She honestly is, is a real rock and support for me. Even though he has to deal with online trolls like everybody else, Saba says his community has been so supportive of his efforts and his followership continues to grow. I've had a lot of really nice comments from people. Um, even people who are not Muslim have said, look, Saba, I've learned so much from your Instagram page. And it's, it's, and it's stuff like that which motivates me um, and pushing me to carry on. Um, because obviously the aim of the game is to change people's perception of Islam and turn it into a perception of, of hope and goodness and Islam really is a vision of peace. Like Saba, Mina and Zina Nasri from Michigan, USA are taking the matter of Muslim representation into their own hands. Their initiative, Girls of the Crescent, aims to tackle the lack of diversity in libraries and in children's books. This is Zina. I'm Zina Nasri. I am a senior in high school. Uh, I study at um, Adams High School in Rochester Hills. Um, I'm 17 years old, almost 18, and my favorite book is The Autobiography of Malcolm X. And this is Mina. My name is Mia Nasri. I am a junior at Adams High School in Rochester Hills, Michigan. 
Um, I am 16 years old, and my favorite book is Dune by Frank Herbert. They were just 14 and 16 when they started to donate books by Muslim authors or featuring Muslim characters to libraries from their hometown in Michigan. Their initiative was well received, and they've now lent a helping hand to libraries all over the world from Canada, Morocco, Pakistan, and Hong Kong. This is Zina. One of our favorite parts is donating the books because we get to see the kids and have them flip through the pages. We donated to a school that's part of a mosque, so all of the students were Muslim. And when they were flipping through the pages of the books, they were so excited. They were pointing out characters with hijabs and and saying, like, oh, my mom wears that. Mm -hmm. And just being able to see them connect with the characters was so great. Um, One of the libraries that we donated to, the librarian had told us that one of her students had been asking for a book with a Pakistani female character, but the librarian couldn't find one. And we were able to donate a book with a Pakistani female character that was around this girl's age to the library. And she got to see herself in a book, which is so amazing. We're so grateful to have that opportunity. The seed to start Girls of the Crescent was planted in their minds since they were just a pair of young girls wanting to know more about fellow women with similar heritage to theirs. So we got this idea back in fourth grade. We were given a school research project to um, research about an important historical figure. So Zina and I went into our local public library um, wanting to do the project on some inspirational Muslim women um, in history because they were really big role models to us. And we went to the library and we couldn't find any books about them or any other Muslim um, important historical figures. And so that was kind of the first time we realized that there was a lack of representation and diversity in the books that we had access to in our community. Yeah, and then about, uh, I think it was over two years ago, we read our first book with a female Muslim main character, and it was The Lines We Crossed by Renda Abdel Fatah. And it was kind of this eye-opening experience to be able to read a book where we were represented. And it kind of brought us back to that moment in fourth grade where we couldn't find a book like that. And we realized that we had to do something about this issue of, of lack of representation so that other young Muslim girls could grow up reading books with female Muslim main characters regularly and getting an experience that we didn't get. Both sisters have experienced on a personal level what a lack of diversity can do to children as they grow up. Being surrounded by people who didn't share their religion, they didn't always find it so easy to remain connected to this part of their heritage. So our community is like predominantly white and Christian. So we've like our whole lives have been kind of like the only Muslim students in our class or the only Muslim students like in our friend group. So living in that kind of situation, I found that I tried to hide myself a lot. Like I would be as excited as anyone else when Christmas came around, even though I didn't celebrate it. I wouldn't talk about the holidays that I celebrated, like Eid. And that was just kind of a miserable existence. And I, at one point I just realized that you don't have to hide yourself just because you might be different from everyone else. Just be proud of your identity and be proud of where you are in life. And just, you know, just be yourself. Wanting to see themselves in books has driven Mina and Zina on a path which led them to become leaders in their community. And even though some may see them as simply a pair of teenagers, they've made time to invest in their community and political activism alongside Girls of the Crescent, being on the school's robotics team, their friends, their family, and high school. One of my favorite group activities in school is our robotics team and Zena's part of the robotics team as well so that's something that we really enjoy and then personally for me I love doing art so I'm really into painting right now and that's one of my favorite hobbies and then of course we both love to read in our free time yeah yeah and I 
both of us are really uh, interested in like community organization and, and grassroots activism. So that's something we've been working on in our community. I'm on the Roster Hills Government Youth Council and I'm on their diversity board. So I get to advocate for diversity within our city. We've also organized quite a few protests uh, for Black Lives Matter over the summer. Like many other members of communities which are considered minorities in their country of birth, Mina and Zina refuse to be invisible and they are constantly resilient in celebrating their heritage. Thank you for listening to The New Arab Voice. This episode was hosted and produced by myself, Daniel Hejaji, and my colleague, Gaya Karamatza. Don't forget to follow The New Arab on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'll see you in two weeks' time with the next episode of The New Arab Voice.